Father, I thank you for another occasion to preach your word. Thank you for attentive ears, submitted hearts, that we can hear the wonderful, fruitful work of God in the gospel. Touch our hearts and minds right now, O Lord, that we would leave here changed. Your word, O Lord, changes us. It is the anvil upon which we hammer out our relationship with the Lord Jesus. And I ask you to touch us as we expound the word of God today in his great name. Amen and amen. How is it that thou, a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wast have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. The well is deep. From whence then hast thou this living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. The water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Sir, give me of this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And I hope that is the prayer of every one of us. When we leave here today, we ask God to give us this water that we don't have to go somewhere and draw, but he gives it to us because he is the fountain of living water. The whole theme of the book of St. John's Gospel is life. In Matthew, it is about Jesus being the rightful heir of David's throne. In Mark, it's about Jesus being the slave of God or being the humble servant of Jehovah. In the Gospel of Luke, we're informed about the uh, human aspects of Jesus, about his being the Son of Man. In the Gospel of John, there's more about his deity. In fact, the whole book begins by saying, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's about the fact that Jesus, his preexistence was the Word of God. And then the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. The book of Galatians tells us that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. So the appropriation of our sin was covered in the birth, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of the Lord Jesus. All that he is and all that he encompasses is a part of our redemption and our redemptive purpose. God, through Jesus, opened up a new and a living way. So in fact, there was actually two Adams. The first Adam was placed in a garden, and he became, the Bible said, a living soul. The second Adam was a quickening spirit. And that means he is the Lord from heaven. Our second Adam, our, our God's attempt at making right what we messed up in the garden. Messed it up so badly that God just 
decided to reduce the population of the earth to just eight souls through a Noahic flood that happened in the earth and left Noah, his wife, and three sons, their wives. And the Bible said, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Way back in the book of Genesis, God's grace was on display and God's grace was distributed to people and intended toward people. Now, mercy is Elois. It is not charis. Charis is grace. It means gifts. But Elois is the word that, that means God's mercy. So grace and mercy are kin, but they are not the same. Not the same. Grace is one uh, attribute of our great God, and mercy is another. Through his mercy, God loved us, and God cared about us. For God so loved the world. God so loved the world. That's mercy. That he gave his only begotten son. That's grace. So mercy and grace, the Bible said, have kissed each other in the person of the Lord Jesus. They both have come together in the expression of love that Jesus coming to us uh, is so prominent. When Jesus came into the world, he said, I came into the world to save sinners. I came into the world to bring life and to bring it more abundantly. So eternal life is the gift of God that is given to us through appropriating what Jesus did at Calvary for the sins that were in our life. Now we've talked about the blood uh, exponentially. We've done a lot of work on the blood. We know that we are made nigh. We who were afar off, Ephesians 2, have been brought nigh by the blood of Christ. We know that in 1 Peter that the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer were sufficient for the cleansing. How much more shall the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanse us and purge us from dead works to serve the living God? That we were not born again of corruptible things such as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. In fact, the blood purchased the church. Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. God gave himself, Jesus gave himself for it. How did Jesus purchase the church? Acts 20 and 28, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he had purchased with his own blood. So he purchased us, praise God, through his blood. He shed his blood. He didn't spill his blood. He shed his blood. Spilling is an accident. And it was no accident that Jesus shed his blood at Calvary for us. For it was foreordained from the foundation of the world that Jesus should die for the ungodly and for the unrighteous. He became for us sin. The Bible said he was made to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Isn't that great? That he who was rich for our sakes became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. Praise God. Can you give God a hand clap of praise and thank you, Lord, for coming to the earth and dying for me that I could be made righteous? 
and that means right standing. That means I can have, have fellowship with God. Hitherto, I was not able to have fellowship with God because I was sinful and I was estranged and I was alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, lost, having no hope without God in the world, but God, but God who is rich in mercy with his great love wherewith he loved us even while we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ and hath raised us up together with Christ and hath made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful passage? That God so loved us that he gave himself for us. I want us to focus upon that, that first man. The Bible said the first man is of the earth, earthly. And the second man is the Lord from heaven. I'm reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 47. The man of the earth, he's earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. And as is the earthy, such are they also that are earthly. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. Here's a great scripture. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Brother, that's what's happened to all of our loved ones who have gone on before us. That's what has happened. They bore the image of the earthly, but now they bear the image of the heavenly. Praise God, they've passed from death unto life. They have gone into the eternity of our great God, which we look forward to, every one of us. Now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. And then in Romans chapter 5, that great verse about offenses and about, about salvation. Read verse 17 of the fifth chapter of Romans. For if by one man's offense, now that's speaking of that first Adam, that one man's disobedience, that one man's offense, death reigned by one. Much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. Therefore, as by the offense of one, upon all men judgment came unto condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of the free gift, upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Adam made us all sinners. By one man's disobedience, many became sinners. So by the obedience also, by one shall many be made righteous. The second Adam came to make us righteous. Aren't you proud of that? Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Aren't you so glad that, that that grace that God expressed toward every one of us so abounds that sin can't control us anymore? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. He is our peace, who hath made both one and broken down the middle wall of partition. Hebrews 10, verse 16 through 22. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and in their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. Brother, every former sinful person in this house ought to jump to your feet and said, Thank you, Jesus. 
thank you, Lord, that my sins are covered and you remember them no more, that you've thrown them behind you and they are never, ever to charge me as guilty again in the sight of God. That's finished. It will never, ever come up to haunt me again. If those handwriting of ordinances that were against me, Jesus took them out of the way. That covenant, he said, I will put that, my law in your heart. I'll put them in your mind, and your sins I'll remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. In other words, there'll never be another Calvary. There'll never be another offering. That one offering is sufficient for all people forevermore. There will never, ever be another sin offering. It is taken care of. It is canceled, and it is settled. It's accepted by God as sufficient. Payment in full is what that is. And you know, when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. Because Jesus is my righteousness. And Jesus is my holiness. And Jesus is my seal. Jesus is my confirmation. Jesus in my life makes me acceptable unto God. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful that our Savior does that for us? Know ye not that all unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, and such were some of you. But ye were washed, but ye were sanctified, and ye were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Hallelujah. You mean the Spirit has a ministry? The Bible said you weren't born again of corruptible things, but you were washed by the washing of regeneration and by the renewing of the of the Holy Spirit. So that brings us to a time when Jesus was in Jerusalem and he was celebrating. It's John chapter 7, if you want to find it. And Jesus has now come to do the work of his earthly ministry. He has chosen disciples. He has started their training. He has started all of the things that he needed to get started in order to bring about that wonderful relationship that we have with him as the free pardon of sin. John chapter 7, verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, he that believeth on me, he that has accepted me, he that has fellowship with me, he that believeth on me as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, but this spake he of the Spirit. The water is the Spirit. When he talked about the river inside you, the, the flow of the Spirit was what he had in mind, which they that believe should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, you've got to understand what the Feast of Tabernacles is. Uh, it's in the month of October, actually around the second week of the month of our month of October, their month of Aries. So Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's attending the feast, as every good Israeli person would. And you see, that, that feast, it lasts for a week. It's seven days. And at that time, they all get out and they build booths. They go and get branches off of trees and they go and gather limbs and they build them a little booth, as it were. 
and they dwell in that little booth for seven days. Wow. Why, Pastor, to remind them that there was a time when they didn't have a home? There was a time when they were wilderness wanderers. There was a time when they didn't have a roof over their head. They were just out in the elements being led by God. And they're looking back and commemorating the time of the wilderness wanderings. Yeah. And every day, the, the priest would go to the pool of Siloam. You know what that one's famous for, don't you? The blind man in John 9 that had his spit, the clay of the spittle, wiped out of his eyes, and he was healed. At the pool of Siloam, the high priest would go and get water. And he would come into the temple, and he would take the sacrifices and lay them before the Lord, and he'd pour water on all of those sacrifices that were being offered in the temple. And while he was pouring water out, Michelle, all the people were saying, Hallelujah! Thank you, Lord! Blessed be your name, Jesus! Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. The people sang praises unto God while the priest poured the water on the sacrifice. But at the end of the seven days, there was another day, an eighth day, and they called that day the great day of the feast. It wasn't one of the seven. And the difference was in, in that eighth day, they brought the sacrifices and put them on the altar, but the priest didn't go to the pool of Siloam and get the water. They just laid there without any water. And the people didn't sing and they didn't worship and they didn't magnify God because of the sacrifices because there was no water placed upon them. So here we have a no water and no praise and no worship. Are you getting the picture? On the eighth day, the last day, the great day of the feast. And it was in that setting, in the silence, that Jesus stood up amidst the hundreds of thousands of Jewish people and said, hey, all of you who are athirst, all of you that are so silent because there is no water. Boy, you're going to get this in a minute. Can I preach this? You're going to get it in a minute. All of you that are here celebrating the fact that God one time cared for us, and led us to where there was a time of water. Do you remember when we were in the wilderness and we didn't have any water? Do you remember the miserable feeling that we had, the hopelessness, thought we were going to die, thought we were going to perish, thought we were finished, thought we were done for? But God told Moses, said, go to that rock. Which one? That one that follows us. That one that you've wondered what it was here for. That one that you knew was there, but you didn't know what to do about it. And suddenly God says to Moses, go and strike that rock. And when Moses took the rod and struck the rock, the Bible said it began to burst forth with water. And all the people drank and their cattle drank. Everybody was so satisfied. Everybody was so blessed. Everybody was so encouraged. Everybody was so lifted up. And they all began to sing and praise. I found out that where the water is, they're singing and praising. 
I found out that where the water flows, I found out that when the water of the Holy Spirit in our lives begins to flow and erupt and, and burst forth, that there's a rejoicing spirit that comes over the people of God. They wandered on. They came to another time when they got thirsty again. Thirsty again. And this time God told Moses, said, speak to the rock. But Moses thought I can just do like I've always done. It worked before. I know it works God wants me to try something that I've never tried before. I've never talked to a rock before. I've never spoke to a rock before. I've smitten it, I've struck it, but I never have spoke to it. And he said, I tell you what, I believe I'm just gonna strike it again. So he took his rod and he struck it again. And God was so serious about that rock and that water that he told Moses, said, you just lost your promise. You're going to get to look over in the land of promise, but you're not going to get to go. Did the water flow? Yeah. Yeah, the water flowed. Why? Because God realized the need that was there, and he honored what he had told him, the rock will produce water. Now Moses messed up the means, but God said, I'm still going to let the water flow. I'm just going to deal with the person who did it the wrong way. Wow. In fact, the Bible tells us that that rock was smitten. And then there's a rock to speak to. What that tells me is that rock went to that cross. And that rock was smitten at that cross. It was at that cross that this fountain opened up for us. It was at that cross that life became the commodity that we sought God for. It was at that cross that the eruption happened and the water began to flow. For if you read in St. John's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 14, the Bible said that they sent them out there to get them off the cross because Sabbath day is coming and we don't let dead people hang on crosses during Sabbath day. So go out there and if they're still alive, break their legs so they'll die and we can get them buried before Sabbath because we sure don't want to do anything unlawful. Now you've just killed some people, but you don't want to do anything unlawful. Religion is strange. Religion will take you to hell. Only Jesus can take you to heaven. But when they arrived at the cross, they broke the legs of the two thieves. But when they got to Jesus, they realized he was already dead. There was a reason why they didn't hit, break his legs. You know why? Because the prophecy in the word of God said not a bone in his body will be broken. You believe God keeps his word? You believe God goes by what he says he'll do? When they got to him to break his legs, they didn't break his legs because he was already dead. The next verse, 15th verse said, but a soldier took his spear and he pierced the side of Jesus and forthwith came blood and 
water. You see, I believe that what that soldier opened that day in the body of Jesus never stops flowing. I believe that water that came forth never stops flowing. I believe that blood that came forth, it never stops flowing. That blood still avails today for the sins of every person that will call upon the name of Jesus. That water of life is still available today to every man, woman, boy, or girl that calls upon the name of Jesus. It never grows old. It never gets out of date. It never goes out of style. It is never, ever futile. It is always a powerful thing when you let the blood flow and you let the water flow. You open up a fountain. The prophet said in that last day there shall be a fountain and it will be opened up in the house house of David and it's for all manner of sin and uncleanness and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Could you give God some praise? Zechariah 13 and 1 tells us about that, that fountain. There's a passage over in Song of Solomon Hey, you don't venture over in Song of Solomon very much, do you? Why? It's so hard to understand. Sometimes he's talking about a spouse that he loves so much, and she's got spices all over her, and she smells. Her garments smell, he says. In Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 12, he talks about his spouse. His spouse. And he's talking about actually his relationship with the Lord. He's talking about how sweet the Lord is and how, how fragrant it is to be in the presence of the Lord. And he said, it's, my spouse is like a, a, a spring that is shut up and it's like a fountain that is sealed. Inside every one of you, there's a spring that is shut up and there is a fountain that is sealed. What does that mean, Pastor? sealed fountain and a spring that's in me that is shut up. Well, number one, it has to do with secrecy. You see, my relationship with God has nothing to do with your relationship to God. Your spring is not my spring. That spring that God put in you, it's not a common spring for everybody to drink out of. It's a, it's, it's a secret spring. You see, when those shepherds, when they would find a spring of water, first thing they'd do is hide it. Why did they hide it, Pastor? Because it was a valuable possession. Those of you who've been with me to the Middle East, you know exactly how important water is. You see brown and barren everywhere, but where water is, it's green and lush. Water gives life. In the desert, water is nothing but life. And when those shepherds would find water, they, they most of the time would, would build an edifice over it and they would keep it secret. They would find those watering holes. They would find those places where the water was and they, they'd put rocks all around it so that nobody would find it so they could keep it secret so that times ever got hard and there was a drought in the land. And when times were bad and things were barren and it was dry and parched, they would go to that place. They knew where it was. 
The other shepherd may not know where it was, but they know where it was. And they would go and lead their sheep to that secret place. I said they'd lead their sheep to that secret place. It was a shut up spring. It wasn't a common spring for everybody to use. It was something that was known only by that shepherd and only those sheep. And they would go to that place that was always a source of strength and a source of water. They could always find water. I want to tell you, in every one of our lives, there's a spring shut up. Oh, glory to God, it's where you go when times get hard. It's where you go when times get dry. It's where you go when, when the fruit won't go appear on the vine. It's where you go when, when times are tough and times are difficult and times are hard and you're struggling and you know something. You say, I, I know where, where a spring is. I know where I can go and find that secret place in the shadow of his wing, that, that pavilion of his grace, that, that place where his mercy flows free, that place where the spirit abounds. If I can just get to that spring of water, hallelujah, it may not be for somebody else, but it certainly is for me. And if I can just get in the right place at the right time, I'll be able to satisfy my soul. Not only is it a spring shut up, it's a secret place that only the people who possess it can know it. It's also a place of separation. It's not kept and preserved for no reason. It is preserved for all others. It's a fountain bearing a particular mark. It's that person's seal. How many of you are sealed? Oh, not all of us, so I got to do some work. Ephesians 4 and 30, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. The Bible tells us that the Lord knoweth them that are his, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Brother, you're so special in his sight that he knows all about you and his seal is upon you, that he knows you and recognizes you by and in addition to that, those things that he has provided for you have got God's seal upon them that indicates they belong to you. You mean God has got some things that he's keeping for me? Oh, yes. God's got good things that he's prepared for you. The Bible said they're laid up. Laid up. Got your name on them. Got your mark on them. Got your seal on them. Sometimes Laverne knows how much I love her blueberry cobbler. And so sometimes when she brings it, uh, Sandra, she'll put it over there in a special place in the kitchen. And she'll come whisper in my ear and say, I hid your part. It's, it's in there in the kitchen. It's in the back part of a certain place. And said, it's, uh, it's got your name on it. I put it there for you. Do you believe God's got some good things that are laid up for you? Did you know God's got some plans that he said for you are good plans and they're good things and that God wants you to be blessed and encouraged and helped and he's put them in a special place and marked them for you? Oh, the, I, I love it when they, they, they find out somebody has got something that they didn't know they had. Those 
television shows, those reality shows, and, and somebody has got a whole lot, but they don't know it. And the whole story is built around getting to that person and informing them of what they've got. And sometimes when they tell them that a long-lost relative somewhere left them an inheritance and they didn't know it all these years and suddenly somebody tells you, hey, you've got something laid up for you. You didn't know it, but you got something prepared for you. And boy, you think Pentecostals act a little crazy sometimes. You ought to see some of these people when they tell them. Oh! 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 Talk about acting crazy. They just go crazy. When somebody tells them, you got something that you didn't know you had. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the people of God could ever discover, could ever discover the good, wonderful, magnanimous things that God has for them that love him. He says, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Paul said, I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I finished my course. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me on that day. But not to me only, but to all of them. All of them that love his appearing. Wow. Lady told me the other day, she said, Pastor, I'm about to retire here toward the end of the year. And she said, you know, I, I've been paying into that retirement a long time. Said, and I'm supposed to get a, bo a bonus for all those years, that I'm going to get something like $140,000. I said, wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, she said, come on, October. Come on, October. Wouldn't it be great if God's people could get that excited about what God has in store for them? The good plans, the good things, not only is it a separate thing, it's a sacred thing. That spring that is shut up is preserved for one special person. And such is a Christian's heart. It is a spring that is kept for one person, and that is the Lord Jesus. Every Christian should feel that he has God's seal on him. From henceforth let no man trouble me, Paul said, for I bear in my body the marks of my apostleship. I want to tell you, if you claim to be a Christian, you don't have any scars, you might ought to check your birth certificate. Because if you're a Christian, you've been serving God, you've been fighting a good fight of faith. If you're a Christian, you're serving God, and you know the Lord Jesus, then there's some marks on you. You've been through some battles. You've been through some storms. You've been through some tough times. Amen. You don't come through this thing we call life unscathed. You'll get your scratches and you'll get your, get your cuts and your bruises. Hey man, somebody will look at you sometimes and say, boy, you fought your way through a mess, haven't you? Yeah, honey, let me just tell you what a mess. If you could understand where he brought me from, if you could just know what he brought me through, if you could just know where he came to me when I needed him, if you could just understand what he 
gave me when I had nothing. It's a sacred thing. Water is not just for drinking. Water is for a multitude of things. That thirst that is in our heart. Did you know God put a thirst in everybody? Did you know everybody in here is thirsty? Did you know that? Everybody in here is thirsty. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, he turned down water the first time. Second time, they offered him vinegar, and he drank it. Wow. Why did Jesus drink the vinegar? Because he was at the end. Because after he said that, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up the ghost. Wow. That fountain that is the Lord Jesus is a fountain of living water. But you see, then there's some washing that's got to take place. That fountain flows, and it never dries up. And he said that water that flows, it does different things. Number one, come on, Victor, and help me quit. They'll think I'm quitting if you'll come up here. That water, number one, is the Spirit of God that comes to sinners and shows him his need of Christ. Did you know that? That's called conviction. That no man calls Jesus Lord but by the Holy Ghost. That except the Spirit of God draws a person, he cannot be saved. Y'all understand that? It's the Holy Spirit that applies the Word of God in conviction. It's the Spirit that baptizes a new believer into the body of Christ. It's the Spirit that seals a believer in Ephesians 4 and 30. It's the Spirit of God that fills a believer and uses him for the glory of God. Ephesians 5, 18. Don't be drunk with his wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Salvation involves every member of the Holy Trinity, but the Spirit of God is the one who abides in us and helps us day by day. Are you washed in the Spirit? Are you washed in the Spirit? You see, that, that Spirit of God that flows in our heart makes us clean before the Lord. You remember when he came around to Peter, was it? That he said, Peter, I need to wash your feet. He said, that's never going to happen. Lord, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Part, that's an interesting word, isn't it? Part. You have no part with me if you don't allow me to wash your feet. In Luke 10 and 42, Jesus said Mary had chosen the good part. In 2 Corinthians 6 and 15, he said, What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel. Having part with Jesus is something which is needed for every one of us. Though all believers have a portion in Christ, how often they fail to enjoy their part with him. I wonder if we had a gadget or a gizmo that would register whether you're one or the other. You have a portion of Jesus, but you don't have your part with him. You've never realized your own personal value in having a part with Jesus. You got the portion, 
but did you get the part? When Jesus prayed, Jesus said, Father, I want you to give them something that you and I have. The glory that we had in the beginning, I want you to glorify them with the glory that you and I had in the very beginning. I want them to have this communion, this fellowship between me and you. I want to share that with them. That's your part. I said, that's your part. Are you in fellowship with God and Jesus in a way that you have such confidence in him and you have such faith and belief in him and his saving grace and his powerful ability to deliver that nothing could destroy your faith in the Lord Jesus? Do you have that part with him? Have you gone that extra mile? In fact, it's like when he told the disciples, said, you, you stay right here. And then he said, Peter, James, and John, come on. And the Bible said, and they went a little further. And he said, now you stay right here and, and you pray. You call on God and pray, and I'm going to go a little bit further. Glory to God. I want to ask you, have you ever made it with him to the fellowship of his sufferings? Have you ever made it to that place where you're in part with him in so much that, that you've joined with him, you've taken up the cross and you've followed him, you've denied yourself and taken up the cross like the Lord Jesus did? Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. There's a cross for everyone in this house today to bear that cross of the Lord Jesus and it's that water. And he said, if I don't wash you, you don't have a part with me. If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And then the Bible tells us, Jesus saith unto him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. He that is washed is better translated bathed, and it means a whole person is cleansed. But he needeth not to be washed except his feet. What do you mean? I only need to wash my feet. Because Jesus cleansed your heart. And Jesus washed the rest of you. And Jesus cleaned up the rest of you. What does the feet do? They walk. They're the practical part of this thing. There's no more need for any blood to be shed to wash you anymore. There's no need for another fountain of water to be opened up to refresh you and cleanse you anymore. The only cleansing that you have to worry about now is these feet that walk through life. And sometimes dirtiness and filth gets on your feet. And sometimes you walk through nasty things and they start stinking and they get smelly. And that smell and that stink won't go away from your feet because of what you've been walking in. But when you get to the place that the Lord Jesus said you can wash your feet, then you practically become clean as well as spiritually clean. How do I wash my feet? I go back to that cross and I say, Lord Jesus, there's some things on my walk. There's some things involved in my life. There's some things 
practically, Lord, that have attached themselves to me as I've traveled through this thing called life. And I need you to cleanse me and wash me of those practical things and help me get forgiveness and get under the blood some things that have attached themselves to me. Don't need to be saved again. I said you don't need to be saved again. You just need to wash up. just wash up stand with me that's enough preaching for one Sunday glory to God enough preaching been done to save everybody anyway amen how many of you could say with me then Lord don't just wash my feet wash my head and wash my hands also do a whole job. Do a complete job. Don't just wash part of me. If it'll do all of that good for you to just wash my feet, then Lord, don't just wash my feet. Wash my hands. Wash my head. Wash my tongue. Wash my teeth. Wash my ears. Glory to God. That's so good. Thank you, God. Ready to pray? Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you now just as I am. I've heard your word. It's convicted my heart. And in Jesus' name, I obey. Lord, wash me. Cleanse me. Search me. See if there be anything in me that would be displeasing. And in Jesus' name, wash me now. I surrender. Touch my life. Wash my feet. Wash my hands. Wash my head. And I shall be clean. Thank you, God. Thank you for forgiving. Thank you for cleansing. Thank you for washing. And I am whole. I am whole. I am whole. I am complete. I am perfected in Christ. And I'm a partaker with Jesus. Amen. And amen.